BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, let's start with some day's casting news. As we saw on air, Sunny and Will are headed to New Zealand, which means Zach Tinker's run on days has come to an end. Now, I want to clarify that Zach opted out. He is leaving of his own volition. He has a new show on CBS called Fire Country, and he says he's been filming up in Canada for the last few months or so. Uh, the show's already been picked up for a season two, so he is otherwise occupied. Uh, but Zach says he will miss his co-stars, especially Greg Rickhart, who plays Leo, but also plays YNR's Kevin, where Zach pops in as Kevin's nephew, Fenn, um, as well as Billy Flynn, who plays Chad. Zach admits he was bummed to cut off the sunny Alex relationship because he also enjoyed working with Robert Scott Wilson. And as for creating the Wilson dynamic with Chandler Massey, who plays Will, Zach says that Chandler made it really easy for him and that Chandler is amazing. Um, but Zach tells us that he'd be open to Salem visits, so hopefully we will see him back soon. There is also a bit of casting news out of GH. Drew Cheatwood, who played Milo Giambetti, came back to film this week to take part in the special tribute episode that the show is planning to honor Sonia Eddy, the late actress who was so beloved by her fellow cast members and passed away last December. Drew uh, wrote a really heartfelt Facebook post reflecting on Sonia's passing and also on what GH has meant to him and his life just generally. You know, he talked about getting to work with his real life brother, Dirk, who played Max, and how uh, through doing this job in California, he met his wife. They now have three daughters together. So it was a very sweet message, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Milo again. That episode is uh, slated to air in late March, but in the much shorter term. There are some things we need to discuss coming up on the show next week. Two words, Spencer and Trina. Two more words, first kiss. <laughs> so Sprina fans have been waiting a very, very long time for this development. And I got a great preview of it from Tabiana Ali, who plays Trina, uh, about how it all goes down. And this will come as no surprise to her fans or to fans of Nicholas Chavez, who plays Spencer. But she told me that getting the moment just right for the fans was very important to both of them. And they didn't just show up on the day. They worked on the scenes in advance to try to find all of the ways they could to bring the romance and the sweetness of it all to life. So Cupid was just a little bit behind schedule this year. But hey, the week after Valentine's Day is just as good a time as any for this Sprina milestone. 
Oh, here, here. I mean, this is a tune in moment for sure. Uh, another tune in moment. We're finally going to find out who fathered Sally's baby on Young and the Restless, which Courtney Hope, her portrayer, teases will be a shock. Uh, Bold and Beautiful's Jackie McInnes Wood weighs in on Douglas's choice to live with Steffi and Finn. And on days, we're going to see John, Steve, and Roman put their plan against Orpheus in motion, but he will shock them with news of his own that he knows who took the magic cure-all orchid. Now, speaking of days, I have some very sad news to share. Cody Longo, who played Nicholas Alamein for a handful of episodes in 2011, has died at the age of 34. Um, I know Cody more from the primetime show Hollywood Heights, where he co-starred with One Life alum Brittany Underwood, but also worked with future YNR stars Melissa Ordway, who plays Abby, Hunter King, who played Summer, and Robert Adamson, who played Noah. It is just such a tragic set of circumstances and my heart goes out to Cody's widow, Stephanie, and their three children. Oh, indeed. Uh, well, on a much lighter note, my earliest memories of watching soaps are of watching Dallas every Friday night with my mom. That show was a global sensation that made a huge impact on popular culture and made stars out of so many of its main players. And I don't know how much I really understood about the very adult situations the character of Lucy Ewing found herself in. But I do remember loving Lucy and certainly being a big fan of her portrayer, Charlene Tilton. So I could not be more excited that she is our guest today. Oh, me too. I mean, Dallas and Knott's Landing were huge parts of yeah. my younger years, yeah. and I could not have loved them more. I was such a huge fan, and I always loved Lucy. So let's check in with her and see what she's up to today. Hi, Charlene. Hello, gorgeous. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, we are so thrilled that you could talk to us today, and I am so excited to talk to you. Oh, same here. Um, so we're going to start at the beginning uh, with your life. You were born in San Diego, and it's well documented that you had a tumultuous childhood that included spending three years in the foster care system um, when your mother was diagnosed as schizophrenic. Um, and you've pointed to the time in your life she took you to see The Sound of Music as a foundational event in your life and one that gave you hope. So did that also inspire your aspirations to be a performer yourself, or do you trace that back to another part of your early life? Um, I, well, I remember being three years old in a Greyhound bus station with my mother and there were like 15 people there. Everybody was by themselves. The bus was delayed or whatever. And everyone was just sitting there by themselves. No one was talking and I got bored. So I look at some lady and I'm like, hi. And I look at somebody else and go, and all of a sudden every, someone comes over and says, oh, you are cute. Oh, isn't she a little dumpling and whatever. So all of a sudden I've got everyone starts coming over and all of a sudden I got like 15 people and I'm in the center of this circle and I start doing my little ABC song and singing zippity doo dah and they're just clapping and oh my gosh she's so she's on so, and I went this <laughs> and I I really remember cognitively thinking wow I could bring these people together I I remember it so clearly and my daughter will tell you and this is the truth and my, my daughter never knew that story, but my daughter will tell you, like, uh, you could go into a bar or a setting. If no one's talking, she said, my mother will, within five minutes, have everybody sitting together, talking to each other. And she will tell you, she says, if it's a restaurant, you know, whatever it is, my mom will have everybody becoming the best of friends. <laughs> so 
That's a very beautiful quality, I think, and and unique. Oh, I always just figure the more the merrier. Let's have yeah, fun. Absolutely. Um, okay, so you now you actually did attend Hollywood High, and yes, I, I was so curious to know whether you ever crossed paths there with the theater teacher John Engel. No, I know who John is. But no, when I was there, it was um, Dr. Jerry Melton. Oh, another name we've heard. Yes. So uh, Mr. Melton was our teacher. And during my time at Hollywood High School, Mr. Melton always said that he knew that it was once in a lifetime. He knew that that opportunity as a teacher and a director that he got to have this group of people. Um, literally everybody in that drama class and the play production went off to to become successful in their chosen field in the industry. We have Frank Darabont, who wrote and directed Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile, and Michael Sloan, who wrote The Majestic, and everybody else, Gigi Otobre Melton, who uh, won awards for costume when we have somebody art direction. And I mean, everybody in has, and we've all stayed close. We've all, we all, you know, keep in touch with each other after all these years. And I was the first one out of the box because I got Dallas when I was 17 that, so I, I know the tabloids went to Mr. Melton said, did you always, did you know, did you always know that Charlene Tilton was going to be a big star? He said, no, <laughs> she was the least likely. <laughs> and it was, and I can understand why, because, um, well, Mr. Melton taught us more Moliere and Shakespeare and all these things. And, we had to do a Shakespearean monologue and I chose to do a monologue of the nurse from Romeo and Juliet. And it truly is the worst monologue anyone has ever done on any stage in the world, in the history of acting. And he said, and he said Charlene, why in God's name <laughs> do you take this monologue and do this older woman, this Zoptic older woman, the nurse, when you are, 14 years old with the long hair, this little doll, you are the quintessential Juliet. And I looked at him, I said, because I'm an actress, I wanted to stretch. <laughs> <laughs> My God, I was so full of myself. I mean, I love it. really? <laughs> <laughs> well, you were just a teenager when you got your professional start. So how did you break into the business? Um, an agent saw me at a play at Hollywood High School, and um, it was Elizabeth One, and I played nine different characters, eight different characters in that play, and one was a mime. <laughs> and, and afterwards, Mr. Melton was talking um, with an agent, introducing this agent to the star of the, of the play, and then I walked by, and I hear the agent saying to Mr. Melton, who is that little blonde girl, the one who played the Russian Muscovite and, and the mime? Who is that? And I said, well, that's me. And so we started talking. She said, well, do you want an agent? And I said, of course. And so I went to her office and met with her. She told me I had to get eight by 10 pictures, which I had no money to do that. I was working at the Egyptian theater for $1.70 an hour. I could not afford to get my eight by 10 headshots done. So I took my school picture and had it duplicated and <laughs> brought those to her. And 
She and I, I got my first job. It was the original Freaky Friday with Jodie Foster. I love that movie. <laughs> wasn't it a great movie? Jodie Foster and Barbara Harris were unbelievable in that movie. And I was 15 and Jodie was 13. And she we had to have school on the set. And she was studying geometry in French. And I'm like, oh, my God, this girl's a genius. And she's such a good actor, just brilliant and so smart. And but yet at the same time, she was able to relate to the to the the kids her age. We had we had fun together. We had a great time together. She was able to laugh and be normal. And, you know, she was a huge star, but she was um, truly one of the most extraordinary people. And I always remember thinking, hmm. I learned a lot from her, just her professionalism and yet being really um, real, like a real person. She was yeah. lovely. But yeah. to get that part, they asked me if I could water ski because there's a scene where Jody and I have to take off water skis from a dock and the boat pulls us off the dock and we're supposed to water ski. So the casting director says, can you water ski? And I said, Oh yeah, you know I won. I can't even tell you how many competitions I've won. Yeah, you know, like water. I was practically born on water skis. I'd never seen a water ski in my life. I even wasn't quite even sure what the heck water skiing was. But oh, I convinced her. And of course, back then you couldn't go look up on the internet and Google anybody. So she just took my word for it. So just assumed I was telling the truth. So I go get on the set the day we're supposed to water ski, and here's Jody standing right next to me, and we're holding onto the ropes. And they say action and that boat's supposed to take off. And I literally look up and I said, God, please, I swear, dear Lord, dear God in heaven, if you let me stand up on these skis, I will never do anything wrong again in life. I swear I will never do anything wrong. So the boat takes off. Jody and I both go under. <laughs> okay, that's okay. But see, Jody was the big star. So she had water skiing lessons. They, you know, they gave her water skiing lessons for me. They just took my word that I could water ski. So they put us. So we do take two and the boat takes off. I am not telling you to this day. It is like Jesus walking on water with Charlene Tilton ski, skiing on water. It was that much of a miracle because I am as athletic as my coffee cup, honey. I could not. <laughs> I, I can't run, can't catch a ball, can't throw a ball. I can't do anything. And the fact that I was able to water ski and had never touched a water ski or seen a water ski in my life. It was a miracle. <laughs> Truly That's a miracle. Amazing. Impressive. Well, Listen, uh, another early project that you did that I, I certainly want to hear you tell the story of, which in a sort of similar vein also involves you stretching the truth a little bit, Ms. Charlene Tilton, is the fact that you were a huge Fonzie fan of Happy Days. Uh, certainly not alone in that, but you might have been alone in getting a T-shirt made that said Fonzie. Uh, right when the show was starting. And then you ended up guest starring on Happy Days, but that's not the first time you met Mr. Henry Winkler. So please tell us about that encounter. I don't think I ever told him, you know, I, I got to know him throughout the years and I don't think I ever told him this story, but the very first episode of Happy Days, of course, I watched it like everybody else and like everybody else. Oh my gosh, the Fonz was, oh, I was going to marry him. End of story. <laughs> I was going to marry Fonzie. I was going to be Mrs. Fonzarella. So <laughs> I I worked at a T-shirt shop on Hollywood Boulevard, which is right down the street from Hollywood High School. So I had the keys to the T-shirt shop. So I, oh, before school, I get to the T-shirt shop and um, open it up. 
and I take a plain black T-shirt. And, and back then you used to applique, you know, put it into a machine that, and you would stamp the letters on. So I took a black T-shirt and I took big silver letters, F-O-N-Z-I-E. And I did them diagonal, F-O-N-Z-I-E on my T-shirt. and went to Hollywood High School just, you know, thinking I was all that in a bag of chips. And people are like, Fonzie, what's a Fonzie? I was like, you didn't see that? And people go, oh my gosh, isn't he great? So I wore this T-shirt. So anyway, months later, I happened to be at the Pantages Theater watching the movie All the President's Men and with my high school boyfriend. And he, Henry Winkler, was sitting right in front of me. And he was like brought in, you know, just as the lights went down. So he wasn't, you know, people wouldn't get, you know. But I saw him and I was like, the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm like, I'm not going to say, I'm, he's not going to get it. Mm-mm, nope, I gonna, and I knew, I figured they were going to like try to get him away quickly. And they did. And I jumped over like four people and got, and got to the aisle. I said, Mr. Winkler, Mr. Winkler, you know, and he said, well, yes. I said, hi, I'm, my name is Charlene Tilton. And I go to Hollywood High School and he goes, well, I drive by it every day. And I go, well, thank you. And I said, I um, I'm head of the journalism department. I run the news, the Hollywood High School newspaper. And I said, we would really, really love a story. Oh, it would be. And he said, well, you know, I think I could do that for you anyway. So he said, okay, great. He arranged, this is how kind he was. He arranged for me to come down to Paramount Studios one day that he was at lunch. He's a huge star. It's the Hollywood High newspaper. He's got interviewed people who want him from all over the world. He agrees. I come to Paramount Studio during lunch. I can't believe this. So I sit down and I'm just asking him questions and acting like, and he says, okay, now the only thing I want from you for, and I said, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. He goes, the only thing I want as a payment for this. And I said, anything. He goes, as soon as this comes out, I want you to get me a copy and you bring it to me in person. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so I had to go back to school and to our journalism department. I said, Hi, you don't know me, but my name is Charlene Tilton. I'm a student here at Hollywood High School. I know you don't know me because I'm not in journalism, but I got an, uh, I, got, I got this interview with Henry Winkler and I lied because I said I was in your class and I said I was in journalism, but I'm not, but it's a great interview. You got to put it, you got to make it on the cover of the Hollywood, the HHS newspaper. I said, you got to, because otherwise I'm in big trouble. And he says, if it's any good. So I wrote it and he said it was good. So he printed it. Ooh. Then I ended up actually writing other stories for the Hollywood High newspaper. But <laughs> I was going to say, I hope so. That's like the hugest scoop. You got yeah. me in like years in the beginning. I, I should have worked for the tabloids. For God's yeah, sake. right. <laughs> well, then what was it like? I should have done stories of myself. I would have made a fortune. That's right. You should here and there. Um, should have won But what was it like then for you to actually be on Happy Days in a guest star role? Um, I couldn't believe it. I was like so nervous and I got happy days because on Freaky Friday, our dialogue coach, Bobby Hoffman, was the dialogue coach on happy days. And when the part of Jill Higgins, who played Joni's cheerleading nemesis, came up, Bobby Hoffman recommended me to Gary Marshall and said, you've got to see this young actress. I just worked with Charlene Tilton. You've got to see her. She's great. So that's how I got that part on Unhappy Days. So I was very fortunate, but I was really nervous. Well, it was very shortly after that uh, in 1978 that your career really took off when you were cast in the role of Lucy Ewing on a little show called Dallas. So talk us through what 
the casting process was like and what your earliest memories of being part of the show are? Um, well, I had read in this magazine called Dramalog. It's now Backstage West, but back then it was called Dramalog. And they would, you know, it would, it cost a quarter at the time. And sometimes I could afford it. Sometimes I couldn't. So sometimes I would just stand at the store and read it and write down casting notices on a pen and paper. And I read where they're casting Dallas. And I read the list of characters. So that one I said, oh, I got to buy this. So I paid my quarter, got the, and I read the list, the description of the list of characters. And I read the description of Lucy Ewing and they described her as a manipulative little sex pot was born with a silver spoon, has everything she wants materialistically. Um, but her mother and father were driven off the ranch by her evil uncle, Jr. I I got Lucy Ewing immediately. I just clicked and I said, oh, uh, uh, it's not about the material with her. It's what she's searching for. I, I, I just clicked with her. Barbara Miller was casting. Barbara Miller had already put me in Eight is Enough and Code Red and, and several other shows. She knew me and she liked me. But she kept telling my agent, no, Charlene's not right. She doesn't have enough experience. Um, she's just, no, not right. She kept saying no. So every day for two weeks, I would sneak into Warner Brothers. Like if a truck was driving by, I'd run alongside there. And I'd, I would just walk through like I knew what I was doing. And um, I'd go to her office. And her assistant, Irene Mariano, was there. And I would beg them, please, let me just come in and read. Can I please come in and read? No, 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 no. Finally, after two weeks of doing that, they said, come back tomorrow at five. And I said, yay, can I have a script or sides or something? They said, nope, just show up tomorrow. We'll give you the material tomorrow at five. So the next day at one o'clock, when I knew they would be at lunch, not in their office, I snuck into their office and went through Barbara's desk and found a copy of the script and stole it. And, um, took it and I went to my acting coach, Jeff Corey, and worked with him and came back at five. And that was my first audition. I think I had to go to two more and then I ended up, or one more and then ended up getting it. So, yeah. Amazing. And what do you remember about just those early days on set? Um, I was really, really nervous. Um, I remember that Larry Hagman from day one, basically said all for one and one for all. And we're here to work hard. We're here to have a great time. And um, Larry just started the ball rolling. We were a group. We were close immediately. And, um, it, you know, it starts at the top. It starts at the number one on the call sheet. And he had such a great attitude that, you know, we all just really got along from day one. And my first scene that I filmed was with Steve Keneally, the ranch foreman up in the hayloft. It was freezing. It was like zero degrees in the hayloft. I had on a little tiny thin shirt and jeans. And and he had used to date Pam, Victoria Principal's character. So, it, and, so I, and, I, and in the scene, we were kissing and stuff. And I said, call me her name. Come on, do it. Just call me her name. And okay. I'm like fifth. I'm in high school in the show. He's older. First of all, I didn't even know what the heck I was saying. Honestly, it wasn't until years later. And I rewatched the show and I'm do it. Call me her name. Come on. And I'm like, Oh my God, that was kinky. I'm like, Oh my God. I had no idea what the heck I was. <laughs> I really didn't. I was dumb as a box of rocks. Um, but the sexy, <laughs> Maybe it, was sexy. it was sexy because I was innocent because I didn't know what the hell I was doing, you know, and I don't even know if you could get away with that now because 
I mean, there are a lot of things that that show put Lucy through that I don't know if you could get away with now. You know, it's pretty, uh, it was pretty provocative then and yeah, still, was, still would I mean, be, I think, pretty controversial. Lucy was under 18. So, yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, you know, can you even put into words, you know, how your life changed when the show started to take off and become the hottest show on television? It's not an experience many people have. Right. I, um, Recently, Patrick Duffy, Linda Gray, and I were in Germany at German Comic-Con, and Patrick was saying something that I didn't realize at the time. He said, you know, a lot of shows roll out slowly into different parts in different countries. Dallas basically went all at once to 190 countries and became number one in the world. It was a worldwide phenomenon overnight. So it didn't give any of us a lot of time to, you know, figure out what's going on. Um, but it gave me the opportunity to travel. I was able, because it was so huge all over the world. Um, I, I mean, just, I, I would have never had this. Listen, I was a latchkey kid in Hollywood, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm able to go all over the world to Europe and travel and meet place people and I go to the white house and do things that, I mean, it, it was in, incredible. It was, I mean, it opened doors and gave me opportunities that I'll forever be grateful for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah. You know, what a blessing that people still love it. Yeah. Stands the test of time for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now you didn't get to work with them on a daily basis as the years went on because they got spun off into my actual favorite show, Not Landing. But what do you <laughs> remember about working with your TV parents, Ted Shackelford and Joan Van Ark? I mean, they are amazing too. The nicest people, just such talented, talented actors. And um, Joan is just lovely. Ted was lovely. I mean, they they are the greatest. Um, I had such a wonderful time getting to cross over to Knott's Landing. Then, you know, then as Knott's Landing went on, they kept asking David Jacobs, the creator, like, where's Lucy? He said, you know what? We're just kind of done with that. We're... <laughs> And I'm like, okay. Well, we get to and see you circle for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, you, you name the dramatic situation. Lucy found herself in it. The flirtation with Ray, who turned out to be her uncle, we didn't even mention. Uh, a fiance who revealed that he was gay. Addiction issues. The list goes on and on and on. Was there like a favorite or most fun storyline to play as Lucy? Um, my favorite was when Lucy was engaged to Kit Mainwaring, who was uh, the son of a very prominent oil family, similar to Lucy and um, the Mainwarings. You had the Ewings and the Mainwarings. And um, Kit had to come out to Lucy and said, I can't marry you because I love you. I have to tell you. And he said, I'm a homosexual. They couldn't even use the word gay. And they handled it so beautifully. The three episode arc was so beautifully done. Um, he said, you know, Jr. knows and he's going to ruin my life. He's going to tell everyone. I said, uh -uh, I'm going to stop him. I'm going to handle Jr." You know, and you think back then they never handled that. So here's this young man played by um, Mark Wheeler, wonderful actor, and had to come out, say he's homosexual, then JR is going to out him, you know, and to out somebody is just horrible. No matter, even today, you know, that's anybody's personal business. But 
So it was handled so beautifully. That was my favorite. Um, Lucy was also raped and um, became pregnant and went through an abortion. And that was interesting because while I was playing on on the show that I was pregnant and deciding whether to have an abortion, I was actually pregnant with my daughter, Cherish. So. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. I had to say lines to Barbara Belgetti's like, but I can't have this baby. I could never love this child. There's no way I could ever love this baby. This Roger was, it'll always remind me what a monster Roger was. And I can't, this baby will bring me nothing but sadness. And, you know, I'm saying all these lines. Well, honestly, as an actress, I just kind of had to have a disconnect. I just couldn't even let myself like really feel those lines. And after every take, I say, okay, um, mommy is an actress. I'm just saying <laughs> lines. I love you. <laughs> and we had Walkmans were big at the time. So I put on my Walkman headphones around my stomach playing classical music. <laughs> love that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But that was kind of, that was, that was kind of hard, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. We do hear that a lot also with actresses on daytime soaps because obviously there's a lot of trauma surrounding pregnancies usually. And they say when they're really pregnant, they've done some crazy emotional scenes and worried, you know, about what's going to do to the baby. Yeah. 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 Um, Now, in 1981, one of the perks of Dallas fame was that you had the honor of hosting Saturday Night Live with musical guests Todd Rundgren and Prince. So tell us about that experience. Yes. Prince was the unbilled musical guest. And um, they had put me up at the Plaza Hotel, how swanky. And the car was coming to pick me up to take me to 30 Rock, to NBC. And um, I'm coming down the elevator and in comes uh, a little guy about my size with a very tall guy. And um, But the smaller gentleman that was my size was wearing shoes like this big, that, <laughs> like I would normally wear. Big platforms, huge. And I said, oh, my God, where did you get those shoes? I've got to get them. Did you get them here in New York? I got to get them. Anyway, we started talking and he says, "Um, 
I'm going to, I know you're Charlene Tilton and I'm going to be doing Saturday night live. Like, Oh my gosh. So anyway, I don't know how it happened if one of our cars wasn't there or whatever, but we ended up because we were talking, we said, well, instead of taking two cars, let's just drive together. So we drove together and I just kept yammering on because it's all about me, how nervous I was, how I was so afraid. And he kept saying, you're going to be great. You're going to be great. I'm like, I don't know. I've never done anything like this. I'm so nervous. You're going to be great. You're going to be great. So and he couldn't have been nicer and sweeter. So I had missed his. Then all of a sudden, the night of the show, Prince performs and you just knew history was made. You just knew it right then and there. And um, crazy. I mean, my time with him, he was just and then I met him another time um, backstage at the Grammys. I literally was walking down a hallway. There was nobody there and he was walking. We literally almost bumped into each other. We said hello. And he remembered me. He was very nice. Um, And then when he passed away and they did the big tribute to him, the tribute starts. Everything is silent. And then I come up and say, ladies and gentlemen, Prince. And that's that's how they're starting the tribute with me. I'm like, oh, my God, what an honor. Something that that was another perk of Dallas fame and something that I'm so hugely jealous of, Charlene, is that you got to be on some of the most iconic game shows of the era. Family Feud, Pyramid, Hollywood Squares, Match Game. So what what game show was the most fun to actually be a guest on? I loved all of them. I loved Family Feud. And if you see some of the old episodes, I mean, I took it really seriously and I won. And it was like, um, and then doing Match Game and Gene Rayburn had that little thin microphone. I was, again, dumb as a box of rocks. Things just seemed to go over my head. And he'd be like leaning over, leering, and Betty White would say, Jean, just leave her alone. Quit doing that to her. You know, or Brett, Brett Summers would, would say, stop it, Jean. And Betty White was always, Jean, leave her alone. Jean, she's she's not even 18 years old. Jean, leave her alone. And it was just, but they, those were all so much fun. And then um, I got to do a show with Joan Van Ark. It was a game show for the Game Show Network. It and she's so her and Kevin Dobson and myself were sitting in the in the makeup room together, the three of us. And she's in the middle and she goes, or she's on one side. I'm in the middle and Kevin's on the other side. So she goes, all right. So what is this? What's what's what is the point of this game? And I said, the point is, I'm going to kick your ass. And she goes, oh, God. So that's the point. Both of you. I'm like, I'm like so competitive when it comes to the games. I'm like, oh, I'm in it. To, it was 21. That was the, the, the show with Alfonso Rivero um, hosting it. And um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, business. More important. Did you kick her ass? Yes. Okay, good. Of course. Well, in 1985, your original Dallas run ended essentially because the writers were having trouble coming up with new storyline ideas for Lucy. Uh, There was a huge outcry from fans as a result. But for you, what do you remember about how you got the news and was it difficult? Um, Leonard Katzman called me. He was our producer and director. And he had called me to come into the studio one day. He said he had to talk to me. I, I didn't think anything of it. That was like the farthest thing from my mind. And um, I wasn't working that day. So I drove to the studio and he told me and I went mm. and I cried a little bit. Then he cried a little bit and he just pulled me off. And, and I didn't talk to anybody else about it. I didn't talk to the other cast 
or anybody. So just finished out the season knowing I wasn't coming back. And then, um, but what they told me, what they wanted me to do was to come out and say that I'm choosing to leave the show because I want to go and start a feature film career. And I want to um, see what other opportunities are out there for me. And they basically wrote these statements for me to come out and say, and I said, mm, I said, no, thank you. I said, that's not the truth. The truth is you are letting me go. And it's not because of anything I've done. And um, I'm fine with the truth. And, and I'm and I'm glad I did, because I mean, and I just said, you know, I had a seven year contract and they chose not to renew it. And that's that was the truth. End of story. That was it. Well, the fans did get up in arms and they sent a lot of petitions and a lot of letters and they ended up bringing me back. I think, well, they had asked me back, but at that at that point, I was in the middle of doing a play and they said, really, you're going to do a play instead of this? come back? And I said, yeah, I'm committed to doing a play. <laughs> Is that the La Mirada Civic Auditorium? And I go, yeah, I got, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm committed to this play. So they brought me back and um, I was there for, like, I think, another two years, but they really, really did not know what to do with Lucy at that point. So, yeah, it's 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 such a shame. Uh, and and I missed your your presence. I remember I remember like it was yesterday. Uh, uh, so, so fast forwarding a bit, obviously, Dallas, you know, ended up getting a revival and you were asked uh, to participate in that. And a lot of original cast members returned. What did you remember you know, thinking about the idea of there being a, a new life and a continuation of the series? Uh, I talked to Larry Hagman on the phone and he said, you know, this is really different. And um, so then I, I got a call saying that they were sending a script over for myself and for Steve Keneally. So I called Steve Keneally and said, well, we're going to get a script. And we said, all right, let's talk after we read the script. So we get on the phone after we read the script and said, so what do you think? He goes, this is bullshit. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, we're freaking extras at a barbecue. He goes, I'm not coming back for this. I got one line. I'm, this is ridiculous. And I said, well, he goes, what are your thoughts? And I said, well, I said, I get it. I said, that was my first thought. I said, but you know what? We're there to support Patrick, Linda and Larry. And maybe they don't need us in the show, but I know behind the camera, they're going to need our love and just our love and our good wishes and blessings. Even if we're just on the set, hanging out by craft service, <laughs> we got it. And he said, oh God, he goes, why are you always so nice about everything? And I go, I'm not. I go, I said, trust me. My first instinct was yours. Are they, you know, what are they nuts? I'm not doing this. But so we did, we went. And um, at the airport on the on the way, and Steve and I did our little part. It was a barbecue. We each had like two lines or something like that. And in the first episode of the TNT reboot. And then in the airport on the way home, Steve was there with his wife and he said, thank you. I would have never done this without your convincing. And he said, thank you. We had the best time. I said, I told you it was. And we did. We had a great time being there. And, you know, it, it was a whole different show. It was a whole different take. You know what I mean? So and I got it. And they went in a whole different direction. So which is fine. And, um, you know, we did a little bit and that was it. Well, what was it like to be playing Lucy again after all this time? You know, did she come right back to you? Yeah. You know, um, 
The one thing that they did, though, is in the advertisements and stuff, they Lucy reunited with Val, Lucy reunited with Val and all these promos and things and even in print. And then literally in the script where at South Fork, there's a knock on the door and I answer the door and it's Valine, Joan Van Ark. And I go, Mama. And Bobby comes in and says, Lucy, I better get this. Why don't you go get some coffee? And I said, OK. And I walk away. <laughs> Huge reunion. <laughs> Joan and I are, were like, are you kidding? I mean, the fans were furious. I mean, there was some, literally, it was like, yeah, that was it. We said one word. I go, mama, Lucy, go get some coffee. Okay. <laughs> Missed opportunity much? My goodness. <laughs> My goodness. Well, one thing that I really wanted to ask you about uh, is your the dear friendship that you shared with the late Tammy Faye Baker, you played her in a one woman show, but how, how did you originally forge your relationship with her? Oh, I knew her back in, in her heyday when her and Jim had PTL, PTL club. And she used to always ask me to please come on the show. She kind of scared me a little bit. I knew her and I, I loved her, but I, I, I didn't think I really wanted to be on her show. Um, so then I went and did TBN. I did Paul and Jan Crouch's show. Go figure. <laughs> anyway, um, then after everything happened with Tammy Faye and Jim went to prison and was released and it, Tammy had a bout with cancer, then her and I got reconnected and, uh, remember going out to dinner with her and, um, like the waiter would come out, come to the table and, the specials of the day are, and then they'd start sobbing and she would be talking to them. And then like somebody else would, you know, somewhere else, somebody would come out and say, well, my family doesn't talk to me anymore. My father has disowned me because I, I came out and told him I was gay. And she said, well, honey, I'm so sorry to hear that, but your heavenly father that loves you and loves you for who you are and does not disown you. God don't make no junk. He loves you. And I'm sorry that your earthly father did that to you, but God in heaven loves you. And I mean, I just saw her affect people in a way that up close that I never, and I remember asking her, I said, Tammy, look, I've been with Pastor Jack Hayford, who was church on the way in Los Angeles. I had an audience with the Pope. I spent time with Billy Graham. I all these theologians. And I said, I have never met anybody that when you're with them, like you just feel God's love emanating from them, pouring out of them. I said, what is that? I said, cause I think I'm empathetic and I think I love people, but wow, you're in a whole different level. I've never seen anybody like you. She said, well, she goes, I was the most hated woman on the planet. She goes, I was the biggest punchline of every joke. And she said, didn't leave my house. I said to God, I said, I'm going to lie under this rock and die. Or if I don't, if I get up, then I'm really, really going to be a vessel for your love to flow through me and touch people. And she goes, and I mean that. And I got to tell you, she meant it. And she, to her dying day, she lived that way. She really did. So, um, yeah. Extraordinary. That is, that is. Yeah. Well, your life today sounds pretty full, not the least of which because you are you have a beautiful daughter and grandchildren. You also starred in the new romantic comedy Heaven Sent, 
which is streaming now on PureFlix. That is P-U-R-E-F-L-I-X.com for our listeners. So tell us about your character and give us a sense of how she plays into the plot of the movie. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, Heaven Send is on PureFlix. And I like to say PureFlix is sort of like the inspirational Netflix, if you will, because, you know, I watch Netflix every day. I've got to admit, you know, I love my streaming services. But PureFlix is... This movie is probably one of the best things I have ever done. I am so proud of it. Um, I play this character, Pam, and her best friend, Elise. We've been best friends forever. Back in the 80s, we had a hit song. We were like a one-hit wonder. We were called Sugar and Spice. And and uh, so now, all these years later, um, I encourage Elise to get, you know, it's time for us to get out there and start living again, to enjoy life, maybe find love again, and... Um, so Elise ends up meeting the pastor at church that I bring her to. He's a widow and they fall in love. And then I meet somebody at a speed date on the speed dating night at the church. <laughs> and Elise's grandson, this uh, gorgeous 18 year old gentleman, he meets love on, on the Internet. So you've got these three people that meet and find love in different ways. And but yet we're all connected together. And um it's really funny. It's it's a rom-com. And I I mean, my daughter and I definitely, and I know a lot of people do have their rom-coms that they'll watch over and over again. You know, my daughter definitely have has just go go to movies that we've watched many, many times. I think this is going to be one of those movies that people will watch over and over again. It's really good. I'm very proud of it. When you look back on the filming experience, stands out about what was fun about making it. What I loved about the script was with the, with the character of the pastor, he was real. He wasn't a caricature. He was a man who was grieving the loss of his wife, yet he was still trying to run his church and shepherd his congregation. And then there was a couple in the praise and worship team, this couple that was having marital problems, and they were real. They Again, they weren't caricatures. They weren't portrayed as being like, I always say, like too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. And um, Tammy Faye loved when I said that to her <laughs> because, you know, they were real people. Yeah, they went to church and they believed in God, but they had issues. They were here, human, your people, you have issues and problems. And I love the fact that they were portrayed real. And it wasn't like hit you over the head with church and everything. It's funny. It's just a funny movie. And um, I loved it. The script was great. It was adorable. Oh, yeah. Well, it's obviously a good time of the year, Valentine's Day, for people to be watching it. So um, this weekend, you know, even though it's over, Valentine's Day has passed, still love keep the vibes going. Keep the Valentine's yeah. Day vibes going. That's yes. right. Let's watch it. <laughs> now, before we let you go, as remarkable as this is, but coming up in April is the 45th anniversary of Dallas's debut, which also means that it's been 45 years since you first captured the hearts of our soap audience. So yeah. from your vantage point, you know, what does it mean to you? you to look at the career that that show afforded you and just that you were part of such an iconic part of television history. 45 years. Are you serious? That's insane. I mean, there's so much of it that I remember so clearly, like it was just yesterday. I remember going in on the audition and, you know, we didn't have cell phones. And then I had the callback, the final callback at CBS um, studios on Beverly and, and uh, which I hear they're knocking down. And then um, 
missing going to, I was going to go to Valley College and sign up for classes, but my call, the callback, I knew I was going to miss the classes I wanted. And I'm like, oh God, well, I get to the college and my classes were taken. They were full. And I said, oh, Lord, please help me get, let me get this job then because otherwise I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, and then I had to stop, stop my pay phone and call. Did I get the part? Yep. You got the part. No. <laughs> you know, and I remember that. I remember our first cast meeting and I was so nervous that I got to the studio so early and I just sat in the car, waited and I watched people walk in and I just sat in my little dots and watching everybody walk into the office. And I said, okay, you got to get in there. And I did. And um, Victoria principal later, she said, you walked in and she said, I just hated you. I go, what? She goes, you walked in. You had no makeup. You had this gorgeous blonde hair. You're wearing these tight little red jeans, a tight little red vest. You walked in and she said, you sucked the oxygen out of the room. You walked in and everything became silent. And she said, everybody just went like that. She said, the only thing you could hear was Steve Canale said, oh my God, she's young. <laughs> and Victoria, I said, well, why did you hate me? She goes, because you had no idea the effect you had on anybody. You had no idea how beautiful you were. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know anything about anything. I did not I really didn't. It's it, it, it just, I remember the first day of filming. I remember so much of it. I can't believe it's 45 years. Mm -hmm. Wow. 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 Well, you know, just what does it mean to you that that was the show that jump started this amazing career you've had and life? Yes, it did. I'm forever, forever grateful. And, um, you know, but it, it, it did a lot world worldwide. I mean, I had, um, I was at this, um, convention and this young girl from India came up and she was crying and she said, you know, we, we had to go watch Dallas in the, in like the town square on big screen. And she said, I would always put a white towel on my hair so I could pretend I was Lucy with your blonde hair. I'm going, are you kidding? Look at your gorgeous dark hair. I are you kidding? What's your beautiful long black hair? And I don't know, just so many people and people rediscovering it because being on Amazon now it's coming out on Blu-ray. I'm like, wow. And people in Russia, when it got there, people, they thought that that's how we lived. Do you know, and I haven't been there to see it, but there's a huge statue of South Fork Ranch in, in the town square in the, the Kremlin. Yeah. So, I mean, and when we were just in Germany, Linda Patrick and I, so we did this big Q&A with, you know, a thousand people or something. And someone came to the audience and said, yeah, so I was I was just studying at Oxford University and we were studying, um, studying a Dallas class. And, you know, a professor was saying, and I said, wait, hold on a second. You wait, what do you mean you were studying a Dallas class? But it was it was a class, a course on on Dallas. I said, what kind of a class would they teach? What was on the socio um the socioeconomic uh, effect of Dallas and the psychological effect. And the, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. She goes, yes, it was a great class. I'm like, I go, did you, did you pass? She goes, yes, I got an A. <laughs> but that's At Oxford University. That's amazing. It yeah. is truly amazing the legs and legacy that this show has and that it still resonates with people today. And it's uh -oh. a testament to all of you and to the show itself, just that it has stood the test of time as it has. Yes. Well, we thank you so much for all your time today and for sharing your stories. Um, again, yeah. May everyone listen, listening, make sure to check out heaven sent on pureflix.com. 
And we just appreciate everything that you've done for us through the years, Charlene, and um, look forward to seeing whatever you do next. Thank you two gorgeous ladies. Keep up the great work. We love you guys. Believe me. Thank you. Thank you you so so much, much, Charlene. Have a great one. Bye. Bye, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Charlene Tilton for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Podcast.